0: Thank you, Chris. I appreciate it. And I appreciate y'all inviting me to come here. Uh, I was telling somebody earlier, the last time I spoke, there was like 20 people in the room. So uh, this is a little bit of a change for me. Uh, man, what? how great a place is this. I mean, it, I, this is awesome. I just, I, I mean, this is really, this is really neat. Uh, I'm going to warn you, though, now, if I fall asleep in the middle of my talk, y'all just wake me up. Because... <laughs> I ate entirely too much. Uh, That was some good food we had. Uh, um, I want to tell you, first of all, that my sponsor, Bo T, wanted to let every one of you know he said hello. Uh, uh, I've talked to a lot of people that know him. I know he's been here, and um, I love the man. I just do. And so hello from Bo from West Blockton. Uh, I grew up in uh, a little town called Fairfield, which is uh, just west of Birmingham. My parents were uh, God-fearing people. They took me to church every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night. They taught me the difference between right and wrong. And uh, they gave me everything I needed and a whole lot of what I wanted. I uh, didn't know anything about alcoholism. You know, we were uh, really shooting the lock off and taking a walk on the wild side when we had rum cake. Uh, you know, uh, to, just to give you an idea, I bought my first rock and roll record uh, at the Woolworth across the street from my house. Uh, and it was live at the forum by a three-dog night. And when I got it home, my mama made me take it back. So that'll give you an idea of, of, uh, of how I grew up. So I tell you that to say that uh, where I found myself wasn't a result of, of how I grew up. My parents loved me and they took care of me and they taught me right. Um, I sped through 12 years of school and 13, and uh, right out of high school, Uh, I went overseas to Europe to Bible school. I spent nine months over there learning, studying the Bible and all that, learning about God. I could tell you all about the Pentateuch and the Septuagint and all that stuff, uh, but I didn't have a relationship with God. I just knew a lot about Him. And I could remember there was a, they had a principal of this place, and then they had a woman that ran everything. And the woman that ran everything, she and I were talking one day, and I, her name was Angie. And I said, Angie, I said, let me tell you, I, I do pretty good till I wake, till I put my foot on the floor. And once I put on, my foot on the floor, I just don't know how to operate. Now I, I don't know what to do. I mean, I see all these people around me that are supposedly good spiritual Christian people that know how to live, and I just don't know how to do that. You know, I want to. But I, I, I don't, I'm, I'm not getting it. You know, and we spent we spent uh, six or seven hours a day studying. I mean, I got a book at home right now, this thick, full of notes that I took, and I can't tell you about any of it. Uh, and I came home, I got married for the first time. That happens a lot to me, I get married a lot. <laughs> I got married the first time, and uh, my uncle had gotten me a job with a power company, Alabama Power Company, and I was set for life. I mean, literally, I was set for life. This was 1978. Uh, I was making at that time four dollars and a half an hour operating a broom. Then uh, I graduated to a broom and a shovel, and in a year's time, I got an apprentice. Job and I was making eight dollar and a half an hour in 1980. Married, I had it made. And then uh, I did started doing something that my sponsor today still won't let me do. Started thinking, <laughs> and uh, I thought this was a union job I was in. And I thought, uh, you know, I'm smarter than this. You know, in a union. I don't know. I, I don't know whether you for or against unions it don't really matter the fact of the matter is that that uh we got a raise every time the contract said we got a raise it didn't matter how good I did it didn't matter how bad I did it better you know that's just the way it was and uh and I thought I mean what good is this so I decided to go back to school I did went quit quit my job with my wife's blessing um quit my job, went to the University of Alabama at Birmingham, and uh, I wanted to get in the rock and roll business, because that was about as far away from what, the way I grew up as there was, and I figured that's the way to go, because I knew that wasn't working, so I figured I'd try that, and and that's what I did. I I started school there. They had a little um, they had an entertainment committee. We called ourselves Center Stage Productions. And I got involved in that thing. And we started putting on rock and roll shows. And I'm telling you, I had a blast. The very first rock and roll show I ever went to in my life, I was, at, I was working it. And uh, we brought all kind of bands. And we just, I mean, I just had a blast. I mean, I was having a blast. The problem was that I was neglecting my schoolwork and I was neglecting my wife and I did some things I shouldn't have done and she left me, as she should have. By that time I was 28 years old and uh, didn't have a job because my meal ticket, she left. You know, I was in school, I didn't have to work. My meal ticket had left, so I was out of work. Didn't have a job, didn't know what to do, didn't know where to go, had no real marketable skills. And uh, I was primed for the perfect relationship because I had everything needed for one. (laughs) And I found the perfect woman. She was married to one guy, living with her ex-husband, had two kids, and seeing me. Now, (laughs) that is the blueprint for the perfect relationship. I don't say that to say anything bad about her, but that will tell you what condition I was in. Now, uh, one of the first things I noticed about her was that back then you could go to Sam's. I don't know if y'all have a Sam's up here, but we have Sam's clubs down there. You go to Sam's and you could buy a case of beer for $8. So I'd go buy a case of beer and I'd, br- I'd drink two or three, turn around twice, and the rest of them would be gone. Uh, she didn't work. I got a job at a little company making $6 an hour, and uh, we had these two kids, and uh, it was bad. Started out bad, and it got worse. I didn't know anything about drinking. Now, I drank myself. Matter of fact, I, I like drinking. You know, when I was in college, I drank a pretty good bit. Got myself into some situations that I shouldn't have gotten into. But I had a good time. But it wasn't necessary for me to drink. And all of a sudden I was living with somebody that apparently it looked to me like it was pretty necessary that she drank. Well, for about the first, we lived together for, I don't know, about a few months. You know, that went over well, my folks. They love that. Uh, We lived together for a few months. And then uh, I think primarily because of guilt on my part, coupled with a little bit of pressure from my folks, we got married. And uh, that started seven years of hell. It started out bad and went downhill from there. And what I found was that I started getting angry. I started getting angrier and angrier with each passing day, with each passing week started getting more and more angry and I took that out on her and my kids in ways that I just as soon not share from the podium it was not good we lived a very violent a very lonely miserable existence that's how we lived I don't know who was more miserable me or her we lived about we we were together for about seven years. I did manage to finally get a job, a fairly secure job. Hated it, but I got a job. We bought a little house in Hughtown. And uh, by the time, well, I came home on the Monday of a Thanksgiving week, and she met me out in the front yard and said she found somebody else with it. She was leaving. Well, actually, what she said was, "I found somebody else, and you're leaving. <laughs> and uh, I didn't have a whole lot at that time. You know, I didn't make a whole lot of money. She didn't work. By that time, we had four kids: two that she had that I would adopted, and two she and I had together, all under the age of twelve, uh, under the age of thirteen. And uh, everything that I had, as bad as and miserable as it was, was wrapped up in that house. With her and those kids, my my folks, they just pretty much given up on me. In fact, my mom, my mom, if she wanted to talk to me, she had to write me a letter and give it to me because she just couldn't talk to me. Uh, Cause I was angry and resentful, and I didn't know why. So when she told me that I had to go. My world was, I mean, I mean—I was lost because I, I knew how to operate. By that time, I knew what to do. I knew how to operate. I knew what to expect when I came home. I knew how life was going to be, and it was miserable. It stunk. It, it, it was nothing good about it, but I knew about it. I knew all about it, and I was comfortable there. And now, all of a sudden, all that was taken out from under me. And I just, I just didn't know what to do. So uh, I left. I got me a little one-room apartment across town. And uh, some of the most miserable, lonely, awful, awful times that I ever spent were in that apartment. I mean, it was, it was I mean, I hate I even thinking about it right now. I'm a plate thrower and a wall puncher. If he's got food on him, he's even better. He has a great visual effect, scattered food everywhere. I punched the walls. By the time that I moved out, there wasn't a hole, there wasn't a wall in our house that didn't have a hole in it. And most all of them were put in there by me. Now, when I moved out, the boyfriend moved in. And what holes weren't there, he added. He had tore the front and back door off and it was just—I mean, that's just—that's just the way it was. And uh, and I spent some lonely, lonely nights in that apartment. Well, I didn't know what to do. I mean, you know, I didn't have any friends. I didn't have any any. I didn't have any church. I didn't have any friends. I had nothing. I had nothing. I had no clue what to do. Well, fortunately, she called me. Uh, we well, let me back up she tried to she tried to fight me for the kids she wanted she wanted to keep the kids, but when I moved out and he moved in, her drinking and drugging and everything got escalated even worse she just couldn 't do it i mean she just didn 't have the ability to take care of those kids she just didn't they were uh three, five, seven, and thirteen so um, we went back and forth had to get a lawyer and all that stuff well anyway eventually she gave up and i'd had them for the weekend i brought them back one sunday night and again she met me in the yard she said i can't do this either i can't take care of these kids she got in the car and drove off left me standing there (laughs) and you think i didn't know what to do before that i sure didn't know what to do then i mean you know, and in a few days we were divorced. That was the end of that. And so there I was with these four kids a full time that I didn't know. I really didn't know them. They were all under 13. I had no idea what to do. Well, she called me eventually and said, Look, I need to get some help with my drinking. And I said, Okay, I'm not sure what to do, but I'll hunt around, and see, And I'm thinking, you know, I had two big fears. That either a she would come back or b that she wouldn't just depend on how <laughs> i woke up that day you know i and i didn't know which one it was that i wanted so i said well i don't really know what to do but i'll see if i can't find out well i went to the eap the employment Assistance program we had at work and naturally they recommended treatment so she went to the treatment facility you know it's a funny thing she went to that treatment facility. She went in the front door, went downstairs to detox, stayed a few days, went out the back, and kept drinking. Now, she was there long enough for them to be, have a picnic one weekend. And we went up there. I took the kids while she was in treatment. And you won't believe this, but they kept her and kicked me off the property. Now I, I mean, by the time that Saturday was over, they told me, you got to go. You know, you just too much, you, you, can't, you can't stay here. You were causing entirely too much trouble. That hurt my feelings. <laughs> but anyway, she uh, she obviously she, she just went out the back door, kept drinking. While I was sitting in that treatment facility, they had a lobby there and had a couple of couches and an end table. And on that end table was a pamphlet. Unfortunately, it was not an Allon pamphlet. Oh. Uh, it was a pamphlet for what they call the Affected Family Member Program. Well, I didn't really know what that was, but I know I was a family member, and I know I had been affected by something. So I went to this thing, and they did all the treatment stuff. I don't know if any of you all have been into treatment or had anything to do with treatment facilities, but we did all of it. You know, we walked on the wires where you lean up against one another, and the wires go out, you know, and, and you climb the tree and you fall off the log and you sit around in a big circle and bitch and moan about what everybody else does I mean that's that's, that's what we did all of that you know and I paid good money to do that uh, it didn't help anybody you know I uh, but the, the the little group I was in had about ten women in it me and a male facilitator Now all the women sat on one end of the room and I sat on this side of the room And about halfway through there, the facilitator took me outside and said, Look, buddy, you're going to have to straighten up or you're going to have to go. I mean, he was about to to kick me out. And I had no idea what I was doing. I had no idea. But all the women, they were terrified of me. Now, I'm not a drinker. You know, this was just me and my sickness. But fortunately, God, you know, I'm 53 years old. And I'm going to tell you, I'm a long, long, long ways from being well and a long, long, long ways from being a spiritual giant. But I know that I can look back in my life and I can see where God has taken care of me and done things for me that I didn't even know he was doing, that I had no awareness of whatsoever. Well, this particular time, he did something for me that I'll be forever grateful for because had he... That facilitator, his name is Chuck Marshinki He's just a fantastic guy. Been in AA 100 years. Uh, just a fantastic guy. Uh, he was ready to kick me out. He had the papers all signed up and everything for me to go. And for whatever reason, well, it was God. That's all there is to it. He let me stay. So I finished. It was a 10-week deal. I finished that, and I went into what they call aftercare. And we did the same thing. We sat in a big circle, talked about everybody else and how miserable we had it and how bad it was and all that. Uh, nothing about the solution. You know, there was no trying to get better. It was just mostly belly bellyaching. That's what, I, that's what I remember it being. But the woman that was the facilitator in that particular group, her name was Kathy King. She since died of um, bone cancer. And I'll never forget her because she's the one that introduced me to outlaw. We were sitting in the, now remember, I had four kids. I had a full-time job. And I was going to this thing on Thursday nights, every Thursday night. And I'd go in there and sit and belly and moan, complain about how bad I had it. And she would look at me and she said, Philip, it sounds to me like your life's been affected by alcoholism. You might want to try online. And I'd say, yeah, I don't have time for that. I don't need that. I'm, besides, I've been to one of your meetings. I went in there, and there was 25 old blue-haired women in there, and I didn't have anything in common with any of them, and I'm not going to. it now on me. And she would say, what you're doing is working. You just keep on. Next week, I'd come in there and bellyache and on, complain about how bad I had it. She would look at me, and she'd say, Philip, sounds to me like your life's been affected by alcoholism. You might want to try Alon. <laughs> well, after hearing that for a few weeks, I said, okay, all right, I'll go again. Well, now, by that time, I, well, I was living in Hughtown still, and there was a meeting not just a few blocks down from my house. Uh, Alon' meeting had been there for a long, long time. AA meets with them, and I didn't go that late. I went to this meeting in Busmer. Now, I don't, uh, Chris was asking me earlier, You know, how how did you choose that one? And I said, I don't know. God chose it for me. It's the only thing there will I mean that's that's the only thing it could be. And I went in that meeting on a Wednesday night. This is what I found. Found an old black lady, old enough to be my mom, a potato chip salesman, a girl that was young enough to be my daughter, and both. I don't have anything in common with any of them. And I walked in that room and sat down and I thought, what in the world am I doing here? I mean, I mean, I've been through all this treatment crap. None of that worked. They're telling me to come to this thing with these people? I don't get it. By the time that meeting was over, I felt better. I couldn't tell you why. Exactly. I just knew there was something different about this place. And I felt better. And when I left, I said to myself, I'm going to come back. So next Wednesday, I'll come back. And by the time that next Wednesday rolled around, I was still as pissed off and angry and resentful and just everything you could, scared and everything else you could imagine when I got in that room. But when I left, somehow I felt better. Then I began to hear what they said. And this is what I heard them say. The first thing I heard them say was that we love you and we're glad you're here. And I thought, wait a minute, you love me, and you're glad that I'm here? You know, I started going back to church, and the singles guru, she was about 115 years old, she told me, you know, if you dress a little better, you might fit in a little better here. That's what I got. Now, I'm not talking bad about the church. I love the church, but, it, you know, it's full of human beings. (laughs) That screws a whole lot up. But when I went to that Alon meeting, I heard them say that they loved me and they wanted me to come back. And that they were glad, they were actually glad I was there. So, I went back. And I went back for several weeks, right there in a the row. Potato chip Selvin, old black lady, this girl that was young enough to be my daughter, and both. And then I began to hear something else they started talking about. They started talking about the solution. They started saying, you know, there's a way out of this. There's a way you can live better. There's a way where you don't have to feel the way that you're feeling. And then one night, they really did it. You know, we read read them tonight. We read the steps every night, every meeting. Well, they had a meeting on the ninth step. I ain't doing a ninth step. You forget it. Because I knew how I lived. I'm not doing a ninth step. Well, we, I can remember like it was yesterday. Back then, we chaired the meeting three times. Because we had another meeting that met on another night that they wanted a the chair set up in rows. We didn't like it that way. We wanted it in a circle. So we'd get there and put the meeting chairs in a circle. That's chairing at one time. Then we'd have a meeting. The chairman would chair the meeting. And after the meeting was over, we'd chair it again, put them back in a row. You think that'll help. Let me tell you, that was my first service work. And that helped. Don't ask me how, but it sure helped. We had this meeting. I remember just like it was yesterday. And they started that night step. And I said, I, man, I don't know if I can do this. And Bo says, well, you know what? The key to a good night step is, so you do a good eight step. You get that eight step under your belt, step nine ain't going to be a problem. He said, of course, the key to a good eighth step is a good seventh step. <laughs> you do a good seventh step, eight, nine, they're not going to be a problem. Well, his point was there was eight other steps before I ever got to that ninth step. If I took care of those first eight, by the time I got to nine, that would, that, that's going to take care of itself. Now, I know that they talked about sponsorship at that meeting because that was 18 years ago, and we still talk about sponsorship today. By the way, we meet on Wednesday nights at 8 o'clock right there in Bessemer. If you ever want to come, give me a call. I'll give every one of you my phone number. We'd love to have you. So we still talk about sponsorship. So I know they talked about sponsorship, but I hadn't heard that part of it yet. But when that meeting was over, I went up to Bo. Because he always, as soon as the meeting's over, he stands up, you know, and stands up up at the end of the room, you know, I walked up to him, and he was standing there, and I said, Bo, I said, i, I got to make a choice. i either got to work these steps or i got to quit coming. And I don't want to quit coming because I don't know what I'm going to do if I quit coming. And he asked me the most important question I've ever been asked. He said, Are you willing? And I said, Yes, sir, I am. I'll do whatever you want me to do. If he'd asked me to dig a 40-foot ditch with a teaspoon, I'd have asked him where to start. It didn't matter what he wanted me to do. I just knew that what I was doing wasn't working. And I asked him if he'd help me. You know what, that's exactly what he did. He took me by the hand and he took me into those steps and he gave me a way of life that changed my life completely. It took a miserable, angry, resentful, bitter man and turning into somebody that I think, now this is my opinion, I think people want to be around nowadays, at least most folks. I haven't punched a wall in 19 years. (laughs) You know, there's not a hole in my house. All of my windows are intact. (laughs) You know, and uh, you know, that was 18 years ago. And my life, if it could be 180 degrees different, any more than that, it would be, because I'm I'm not the same man I used to be. Not because I'm some great guru or whatever. It's because I had a man that was willing, that had worked the steps himself, and was willing to help me do the same. And he took the time to take me into the book. And walk me through those steps. And I was willing to do exactly what He wanted me to do. And that's what I did. That's what I did. And my life changed. Now, <clears throat> when I was growing up, of course, I went to church. And they'd have the altar call. And they you were expected to go down front. And they tell you, if you come down front and surrender your life, that your life change and everything be different. What that told me was that I'd go down there and do that and I'd go to bed one way and wake up another. Well, the thing about it was that I went to bed one way and I woke up the same way I went to bed. It, you know, it wasn't working for me. You know, Bo never told me that. He never said, you work these steps, your life's gonna be perfect. You know, your kids are gonna grow up to be Rhodes Scholars. You know, you're not going to have any grab grass grow in your yard. <laughs> he never said any of that. He just said, "If you'll do this, your life will change," and it did. And it didn't get perfect. You know, my life's not perfect. Uh, I was I was single for about three years. Going to Alan, got involved in service. Went to area assembly. Still go to area assembly. Came uh District rep of my district, uh, served as GR as my group, got real involved in both district uh, and area, and I was doing the deal. I was living the life. And uh, a girl that I dated when I was in high school, a matter of fact, I would known her since I was 10 years old. Uh, she called me one day, wanted to know if I'd help her move. Well, I was kind of skeptical about all this. I just wasn't really sure because she kind of did be dirty when I was in high school. (laughs) So I really didn't trust her. In fact, the first time she asked me, I told her, and which is the truth. My mom's birthday was the weekend that she wanted. And I said, well, my mom's birthday is this weekend. I can't help you. Well, she called me again and said, look, I got one more piece of furniture. She's at my friend's house. I don't have a truck. You've got a truck. i got a guy from work that's really willing to help you. Will you come help move this piece of furniture? I said, okay. And that's what I did. And a year later, we we're married. <laughs> and uh, she had four girls. One of those girls had a baby. Now, I even got to take my shoes off to add that up. I had four kids. No, I'm sorry. She had three girls, not four girls. She had three girls and a baby. So that's eight kids we had in our house. Yeah, eight kids. (laughs) Maybe I do need to take my shoes off. We got married in June. In August, the youngest, youngest girl was raped while she was drunk on the beach. February of the next year, the oldest girl tried to kill herself found her in the middle of the night, had to go take her, and get her stomach pumped. And once again, I was living in alcoholism, and I didn't really know how I got there. And it was awful. You know, my kids, the kids, they were just, we all, we were having total cars, suicide attempts. My second to the oldest, uh, Dusty, he, he was 16, got a girl pregnant who was 14. He ran away from home. My oldest ran away from home. I mean, it was, it was alcoholism had reared itself again in my life. And I kept, I kept walking. I mean, I didn't know what else to do. I just kept doing what I knew to do. I kept going out and on. I kept meeting with my sponsor. I kept trying to work with others. But it was getting rough at home. And uh, I'm glad that Bo never told me this is going to be a piece of cake from now on because it wasn't. And uh, again, I was married for seven years. And it just seemed like, it just seemed like it was constant. There was constant chaos. There was some con- It was just constant crazy, some kind of crazy. I mean, if it wasn't a kid, You know, like one year, we had a seventy-five hundred square foot house. We took the glass bowl off the power meter because that's where they dried their hair. That thing spun so fast. (laughs) And we had two, we had two air conditioning systems, and the the compressors went out in both of them within one went out one month, other went out another month. That's ten thousand bucks. And if it wasn't that, it was some kid stealing, you know, writing che- taking checks out of the back of the checkbook and writing checks or trying to kill, whatever it is, just, I mean, it was, it was crazy. And it, it, was, it was hard on our marriage. You know, I loved that woman. And I believe she loved me. I mean, after all, we'd known each other 30 years. And we always, I don't know what it is, but we always had it. And, uh, but alcoholism kills. us. You know, there came a point when she just, I don't know, she left me. So once again, I found myself alone and single. I found myself single, but I didn't find myself alone. See, because I had you. Me and Benoit were talking earlier, you know, how much we love these conventions. I love them. I love Align. I love everything about it. I mean, I was telling. Them I love the stuff I don't like about it. You know, I love it, and this is where I come. This is where I come because it don't matter who I am or what I am or what I do. Y'all ain't gonna kick me out. And you're not gonna fire me, and y'all take me just like I am. And you want me to be here, and you love me, and you want me to come back. I can't go anywhere else like that. I can't even get married and be like that. <laughs> so I that's what I did I just kept going you know and it was rough I had a hard time when my wife left me I had a real 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 hard time real hard time but my sponsor never left me I had my home group I had my district had my area had the pigeons I was sponsoring and we kept walking and I like changed. It changes. It keeps keeps changing. When I was a little, they called my granddaddy Big Daddy. It was my father's father. We called him Big Daddy. And uh, I can see him right now. He was a great guy. He loved me. I was his favorite. Well, about probably, I have no idea. Okay. Probably about, like I said, my son, my second oldest son, Dusty, he got that girl pregnant with 16 and ran away. The girl was 14. They had the baby, and uh, it lived a month. And I never saw my son again after that. Well, about a year ago, uh, just out of the blue, I get this text message from Dusty. I don't remember what he said. But we started texting back and forth. Just started talking. And he started telling me, eventually, you know, I'd like to have a relationship with you. And we never did talk on the phone. We just texted. Then probably about a month ago, uh, uh, I had to have some work done on my house. And my son's carpenter. I had to have my work, some work done on my house. I had to have a bunch of, and he he could do all that stuff. So I asked him. I said, Dusty, can you do this work on my house? He said, Yeah, I can do that. So he came up, and he did all the work on my house. Did a fantastic job. Well, he had three kids: a five-year-old, a two-year-old, and a one-year-old. And he brought the two oldest with him. The oldest is Gabby, and the youngest, or the middle one, his name's Drew, which I'm personally against because his last name's Waters, Drew Waters. It just don't sound right. But anyway, (laughs) uh, he brought those kids with him. And uh, Gabby was sitting on the couch. She had a coffee cup in her hand. And I walked over and I looked down in the coffee cup. she said, I had grapes in this coffee cup, but I ate them all. And I looked at her and I said, well, I guess if I wanted one, I'd just be out of luck. She didn't say nothing. I walked off from the house and I come back out. And she come up to me with a grape in her hand. I swear to you, she said, here, big daddy. Here's your grape. You know what did that? I don't know did that. That's not supposed to happen to somebody like me, a wife beater and a wall puncher. Alone did that for me. About three years ago, I never did tell you, Chris. I'm fixing to tell you now. About three years ago, uh, I'm a kind of a, a computer guy. You know, I like fooling around with computers and stuff. And I started talking to this girl on the computer. Lived in Pennsylvania. And uh, we talked, you know, was really not a whole lot to it. And I went up there to see her one time, went to Buffalo, went to Buffalo, saw her, came back home, still no big deal, you know. Uh, She worked for Lowe's. She'd been married, I think 34 years. Her husband left her and It was no big deal, you know. We just kind of talked and nothing to it. Well, she, uh, like I said, she worked for Lowe's, and she wanted to move out of the town that she was living in because she's living in a real small town, and her ex-husband and the new girlfriend were living there, and she wanted to get out of there. Well, her boss put her in for a job in Alabaster, Alabama, and she applied for it. And I told her, I said, Robin, uh, if you're coming down here for me, you're making a big mistake. I said, don't be coming. Oh, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not going well, to come down there. For, I'm, i got to get out of here, and i got to move somewhere. Might as well be Alabaster. Well, she came down and applied for it. And well, she got the job. So uh, I got her an apartment for her and everything, because she didn't know anybody down here. Nobody, except for me, and she didn't know me very well, and uh, she'd been married 34 years, like I said, never lived by her, since she was 17, never lived by herself. And I don't want to tell her story, but, you know, I just really wasn't all that hip to getting involved with, you know, I mean, I figured I'd already been married three times, that was enough. You know, I'm, I don't need to be doing any of that. Well, She moved down here. I helped her move down here and get her all settled in. We became real good friends. That's all. We were just good friends, you know. She made her life. I made my life. She was able. uh, She never lived on her own. Never lived on her own. When she first moved down here, I was all the time trying to have to help her to do stuff. You know, I don't know what to do, and I don't know this, and I don't know that. I'd help her and all this, you know. But I, I tried to keep my distance. And so that went on for about three years. But you know what? We just we just became really, really, really good friends. And then all of a sudden, I just found myself in love with her. <laughs> I don't know how that happens. And so last May, we got married. And uh, she's awesome. I mean, she is awesome. She could do anything. I mean, I'm I'm telling you, she could do anything. I mean, we have uh, put new new tile on our kitchen counters and all that. She knew how to do all that. She's about to work me to death. But she could do anything. We love (laughs) her. Well, for the first time, I'm married with no kids, just me and her. And I'm thinking, this is going to be all right. You know, it's just going to be me and her, and everything is just wonderful. She's got five kids; she adopted all of them. Well, they're all grown and gone, except for one. He was 15, but he lived with his daddy in Pennsylvania. We got married in May. A week later, guess what happened? <laughs> he wanted to come live with Mama. People say, "Why don't you still come down?" But, you know, and I, I, I'll be honest with you, that's the only way I know to be. I don't like it. I don't like him being there. You know, I, I, I have to really work hard. You know, that's another reason why I need to be here. I need you. I need you. I need you to be here with me. I need to be around folks just like you to help people like me. Because I need you. I, I, I can't do this by myself. If you look on the back of our literature, it says on the I don't know if it does on all of them, but on a number of them it says self-help for the library. Well, let me tell you, this program's a lot of things, but it ain't a self-help program. I know what I know how to self-help. I'll tell you what self-helping did me. When I was married to the alcoholic and the boyfriend moved in and I moved out. I lived about a mile from the house. I mean, I worked about a mile from the house. Well, I went by there one morning. And when I went by there, it was about seven o'clock. Here they come. My wife, my kids, her boyfriend coming out of my house, getting in my van. I come flying up there, got out of the truck, run around there, tried to open the door to get him out which I'm so glad I didn't because he'd have killed me. <laughs> they took off. They took off. I went back to the work, took a pipe about this high, beat every table in my shop. That's when they took me to the psych ward. That's what self-help does for me. And I don't live that way. You know, I, I just don't want to live that way. I can't afford to live that way. I love Alon. I love everything about it. I've been involved in our area just about as long as I've been in Alon. I've I've built our first website. I've uh, there was something else I did down there. I don't remember what it was now. But I've been in. I've been going to Air Assembly for for just about 18 years. Just about the whole time. First as a gr. Uh, Then being a a a coordinator in our district, and I I tell you why I did that because that commits me. That tells that makes it where I gotta go. I've got a job to do. I need to be there. You know, like this this term, we've got a little sound system. It's got the speakers and the mic and all that, and uh, we record our area assembly so the secretary can can keep her notes that way and uh, we generally have a speaker or a workshop or something we'll, we'll record all that, well I'm in charge of all that well that you know that's that's not a big, you know that's not like being a delegate or something you know, that's just some guy schlepping a bunch of equipment in, you know, but I, I love it because that requires me to be there you know, when I first when Bo first started sponsoring me This is one of the very first things he did. Back then, you could smoke in the meetings. And he told me, he said, I want you here 30 minutes before the meeting. So the meeting starts at 8. I'm there at 7.30. He said, I want you there at 7.30, and when we leave, you're going to be turning the lights out. 18 years later, I'm there at 7.30. I'm turning the lights out. You know, because that works. That works, you know. I don't, I don't, ch- I don't try to mess with with what's worked for me. I don't try to change things up and try to figure out new ways of doing crap. I mean, I don't need that. You know, I got a way of life. I got a set of principles that my sponsor showed me, took me through, and I don't. I try my very best not to deviate from that. He warned me to there earlier. That's what I do. I get there early. He wants me to turn the lights out. That's what I do. I turn the lights out, you know, because that's what works for me. You know, it's not my job to interpret these steps. It's not my job to try to make an opinion out of what's going on. It's my job to put one foot in front of the other, do the next right thing. Sometimes that just means i got to get up and work all day. You know, I can remember a time in my life when working all day, that wasn't... Really part of my plans. You know, I worked real hard at trying to get out of work. Well, you know, my sponsor told me, you need you need to do what you got to do what's in front of you. And sometimes that means just going to work. And let me tell you, when you're hurting, and you're scared, and you're lonely, and you don't know what to do, sometimes that can be hard to do. But sometimes that's the only thing to do. So guess what I did? I called my sponsor in the morning before to go to work. Bo, I'm going to work. I said, all right, go work all day. Do the best you can. All right. That's what I did all day. And that works, you know. Now I don't know what else to tell you. You know, I, I wish that I could, and I've never been able to do this, I wish that I could convey to you all, what this program's done for me, really. I wish that I could, you know, let y'all feel the things that I feel when I'm in here with you. Maybe you do, I don't know. If you don't, maybe maybe it's time to try something a little different. Numbered one through 12. You know, my sponsor told me long ago, reading the steps, sitting next to somebody that's worked the steps, studying the steps, reading spiritual literature sitting next to people that pray they don't cut it you know there's a saying Meeters, meeting, maker, make, meeting makers make it I don't know about that you know I, I see a lot of people go to a lot of meetings and they're miserable because they ain't got any steps they ain't got a sponsor they haven't implemented these principles in their lives I know what it's like to be lonely and afraid, not know what to do, with no, no sense of direction at all. And I know what it's like to have somebody take you by the hand. And you know what the strange thing about it was? This is what got me. We just didn't spend a whole lot of talk, time talking about her. You know, we You know, we just didn't talk about her. It had nothing to do with her, you know. I'm sorry if you're an alcoholic in this room and you think that we spend a whole lot of time talking about you, I'm, <laughs> I I'm hate to disappoint you, but we, we just don't I know for me we just don't spend a whole lot of time talking about the alcoholic. My sponsor, he got me looking at me, looking at me and my life changed. I love y'all. I don't know you, really, but I know where you've been and i thank you for letting me be here and i appreciate the hospitality you've shown me and the love that you've shown me and uh thanks a lot